-hmm. If you're going to pick up one tool for studying the Bible, take your curiosity with you because it is going to propel you into answering questions that you otherwise would leave unanswered or be content to leave unanswered. And I think the Lord just sort of pricked my heart with curiosity and then put the right people around me to disciple me into learning how to explore the questions that I had. And that has just that skill set of taking curiosity and exploring it further. Um, it is a skill set and it is a gift. I want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'm not patting myself on the back saying, Oh, I just have this skill and you right. know, it, it's just in there. It's not, it comes from the Lord and it was developed by those around me, but that skill will carry us so far as we study the scriptures. Welcome back to the all things, all people podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining in this week for our conversation with our Christian thinker, Amy Gannett. If you don't know Amy, then you are in for a treat. She's actually from my, what is now my home state of North Carolina. Uh, Her and her husband planted a church in Greenville, North Carolina, um, which is where Eastern Carolina University is. And uh, she plays a huge role in that church, but she's best known for the work she's done with Tiny Theologians, a uh, company that seeks to create discipleship tools to pass on the Christian faith to the youngest members of our household. Um, if you have small children, go to the website that's in the bio and go check out the stuff. Amy actually sent my wife and I some things uh, you're going to hear in the interview where I expressed to her some of my own shortcomings as a dad and explaining the deep mysteries of the faith to my own children. I spend so much time talking with Christians and non-Christians about like the deep questions and Part of the mission of All Things All People is, you know, to provoke people to ask hard questions. But if I'm being honest with you, I really struggle when my children ask hard questions. Those are actually the hardest ones for me to answer. And Amy sent us some stuff to help us out. And it's awesome. It's so, 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 so good. Um, Along with Tiny Theologians, Amy just has a strong presence on social media and with her website, um, teaching uh, not just women, but uh, primarily women like the deep, deep stuff with the Bible, going through some incredible Bible studies and um, providing a ton of theological resources and Bible study resources. You're going to hear her talk about the role that curiosity plays in the life of the Christian and how those of us who have the deepest love for the word often are the most curious students of it. And that resonated with me so much because that's been a huge part of my own faith. And I would imagine if you're listening to this show, with the type of people that we have on this show and the type of topics that we, you know, navigate on this show that you also find yourself as, uh, being one of the more curious people in your life. And so you're really going to love her a quick note. Thank you so much to those who purchased merchandise and gear through the ATAP pop-up shop that just ended. Um, it was so encouraging to see people, uh, you know, jump in and support that way. All the profits from that are going to go right back into furthering the mission of all things, all people, which if you don't already know is to raise up generations of Christian thinkers to understand and reach the world around them with the transformative message of the gospel. And as the sweatshirts and t-shirts say, we want to people, we want to teach people what it means to think like a Christian. And you're a part of that just by listening to the show. Um, but go check us out, uh, all things, all people.org. Um, go check us out on Instagram, all things all people. We'd love to engage with you there. And, uh, we have a crew episode coming up 
and because of some things that uh, I've engaged with on, on social media, I think we're actually going to do that crew episode on Catholicism. And so I would love to hear your questions on Catholicism as we prep for that crew episode and me and the guys navigate that topic. So um, email me at jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org with questions that you want us to take on for that episode. And we'll do our best to hit as many as possible. Um, But I'm mostly excited as I am for most weeks to uh, introduce you to somebody that either you already know and you're as excited as I am or you don't know. But by the end of today's episode, you're going to understand why the rest of us are. And uh, that is for you to listen to the conversation I was honored to have with our Christian thinker for this week, Amy Gannett. My next guest is, quite frankly, many things. She is founder and creator of Tiny Theologians, which is creating discipleship tools to pass on the Christian faith to the youngest members of our households. She is director of discipleship at Trinity Church Greenville in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, the church that she and her husband Austin planted as he continues to pastor. She is perhaps most well-known, though, as someone who simply loves the Word of God so much that she creates and distributes high-quality exegetical Bible studies, courses, and tools for people to learn to study and love the word themselves. Her forthcoming book, Fix Your Eyes, How Our Study of God Shapes Our Worship of Him, is an exploration of how our study of the nature and character of God, as revealed in his word, is truly an invitation to respond in the affectionate, obedient discipleship of worship and how worship should always be rooted in theology. With all of those many hats she wears in mind, uh, as including mother, uh, it, uh, it is an honor to have on the show today, Amy Gannett. Amy, thank you so much for making some time to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. Uh, we we mentioned in pre-show, and this seems to be a theme sometimes with uh, some of the ladies that I've been privileged to have on the show. Uh, my wife is a big fan of yours. And uh, because my wife is a big fan of yours, I've become uh, a, a big fan of yours and you've been blessed with this amazing social media ministry. Is it strange? I find it strange to do things that seem like I'm trying to be an influencer on social media when we, I think you would agree, like we're, we're not trying to make much of ourselves. Is this social media following that you have that's been so successful, strange for you and your family to deal with? You know, it has been this interesting new dilemma in a way for our Mm. family. Um, but one of the decisions that I made a couple of years ago has really served me well. It sort of was this key decision point that I didn't know was so key because my influence was not that great. I would say when Mm. I made the decision, but I decided that I was going to deliberately not develop a personal brand and deliberately not make money from Instagram. And so I decided that a couple of years ago when I had a couple thousand followers, but was really enjoying the teaching, really enjoying the community, enjoying writing posts. And so I decided that I just was never going to monetize that account. I was just never going to develop a personal brand. And I don't really make you know, recommendations for like the next vacuum you should buy for your home or the best pair of skinny jeans. Like I just don't Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. And it seemed so foreign to me. So I decided I wasn't going to do that a couple of years ago. And it served me so well because now 
when I have brands reaching out and saying, Hey, will you Mm -hmm. consider doing this collaboration? It's just a really easy no. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of been this preservation of my delight in teaching and preserved Mm -hmm. how much I love writing posts and stuff like that. So yes, we have some dilemmas, like how many, do we post pictures of our daughter? Like, how do we do that? We're we're still discerning some of those things. So it's been a unique dilemma in that way, but I feel like that decision so long ago really allowed me to be authentic in my Bible teaching, authentic Mm -hmm. in my love of theology and dispensing um, what I learned in seminary to others who desire to do the same. And it's been just, that decision just served our family so well that I always, whenever I'm talking to somebody who's really wrestling with the influencer life, I'm like, just go back, go back to when you just enjoy doing it. Forget making money. If you can, if that's something your family can Mm -hmm. choose to do, I know that that's a privileged position to say, we don't have to monetize this part of our life, but goodness, it has just been, that has been such a gift. Yeah. It's been a big encouragement for, for me and for all things, all people, people like you, um, many of the people I've had on the show are, we have this new wave of, you know, for years, the people that I listened to and I was quote unquote influenced by, um, had no social media following. I was listening to Mm -hmm. sermons and traditional podcasts like this one. Now I follow you. I follow Felicia Masonheimer. I follow men and women who their, their biggest reach is social media. And it's just a strange thing. Like you said, you know, to choose whether or not to monetize that. And cause it's such a, it it seems like it can be really a, a pitfall into, like you said, becoming, uh, a collaborator as opposed to somebody who's just trying to, like you said, teach the Bible and do these things, you know, cause we want to use as many mediums as we can, but this one is especially, especially difficult, but you've handled it wonderfully. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, like, I think that's a great place to start because that decision that you said to just go, go back to what, what we want to do. And you mentioned the things you learned in seminary, the things you learned um, in undergraduate. Now you did undergraduate at Moody Bible and then seminary at Gordon Conwell theological seminary, which that's right. Are, two very impressive schools. Um, and, uh, that I think is probably where, uh, quite a bit of your education came from, but you don't get a love of the word of God from seminary. Uh, that comes from the Holy spirit and comes from just your personal relations. So let's just start with that because that so well defines you and everything you do on social media, through your membership on your website, through the book that I'm excited to read whenever it comes out. Uh, just this deep love and appreciation for the word that you have today. Um, how did you get there? I, I, how did you get to that point where, um, you know, it seems like everything you put out now is just trying to get people to see the Bible the same way you do. How did that happen? Well, I think so much of my affection for the word comes from, well, I can trace it all the way back to childhood, watching my parents really study the, the word as mm. their lifeline. They, my parents studied the Bible out of need and delight. And so they modeled those really well for me. So I grew up in a home knowing that their the adults studied the scriptures, not because it was a law, not because it was the good Christian thing to do, not because it earned them brownie points with the Lord, mm-hmm. but my parents modeled this deep affection for the things of God and a deep need, a reliance on God. You know, I'm one of nine children in my family. Wow. So my parents had a big family. My dad was running a business. My mom was homeschooling. Their lives were really full And I knew at the end of the day, I knew where their day would start and where their day would end. And that would be in the word and in prayer. And so I think it started 
there. But as the Lord brought me to himself in personal relationship and saving faith at a young age, and then brought me up in the Lord, I think he gave me a curiosity that served me really well in studying the scriptures. And I remember Melissa Kruger actually said this to me recently, or in recent years, Melissa and I did a module for the course that I teach called daily disciple making on how to make disciples. And she teaches a class specifically for that course on the role of Bible teaching or studying the Bible in disciple making. How do you study the word with somebody is kind of the question we were answering. And she says, one of the best tools you can take with you is curiosity. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pick up one tool for studying the Bible, take your curiosity with you because it is going to propel you into answering questions that you otherwise would leave unanswered or be content to leave unanswered. And I think the Lord just sort of pricked my heart with curiosity and then put the right people around me to disciple me into learning how to explore the questions that I had. And that has just that skill set of taking curiosity and exploring it further. Um, it is a skill set and it is a gift. I want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'm not patting myself on the back saying, Oh, I just have this skill and you right. know, it, it's just a merit. It's not, it comes from the Lord and it was developed by those around me, but that skill will carry us so far as we study the scriptures because the word of God is so endless mm. in its revelation of who God is in its intricacies. I mean, think about it. There is no other book that we can name that is written in multiple different genres by a plethora of human authors where where their personalities come through, where we see all these different backgrounds of these different authors. And yet it's proclaiming this one grand narrative of the story of redemption and proclaiming one triune God with all of these attributes. I mean, the Bible is this endlessly interesting book. And Mm -hmm. so if we take curiosity with us, we're going to study the word of God our entire lives, have so many questions answered, and we are going to lie on our deathbed with still more to explore. And that is the joy of glory. We get to see God face to face. And we, we just have this book in front of us in the, in this life that we can explore Mm And we can ask it hard questions and we can bring our confusion and our seeking to it. And the Lord uses this book to do really wonderful things that we're, we're never going to run out of. Um, we're never going to run out of curiosity yeah. when it comes to the scripture. So I think that curiosity has just been a big part of my Bible study and something that I pray that the Lord never lets me um, grow apathetic or disinterested yeah. in the scriptures because that curiosity is just going to carry us into yeah. studying the Bible. So I think for somebody saying, gosh, I really wish I enjoyed reading the Bible yeah. because let's be honest, we've all been through seasons yeah. where we're like, this feels mm-hmm. like a task. Mm-hmm. Um, for that person, I would say, find, read until you have a question mm. and then dig deep on that yeah. question. And that's going to propel you back into the excitement of studying the scriptures. So I think that has served me well. And it's been something that the Lord has used to stir my heart with delight. That's so phenomenal because, and I I just wrote down notes almost for myself during that, because so much of my walk with, with the Lord and and as a, as a pastor, and then now with all things, all people has been 
trying to get people to love the word is I know that you, you have this passion and it's like, sometimes we do it all the wrong ways. We do it by hyper explaining things and trying to make everything make sense. And what you just said is so perfect because, um, our curiosity, it's almost like going to the ocean. It's like, because I can't answer all of these questions, but we don't even know some of the things that are in the ocean. And we, we couldn't know to catalog everything that's down there. It, it drives the exploration. Do you feel like people like me and you and pastors and teachers and academics that to a certain degree are over explaining has made it difficult for people to still be curious. They feel like they can, they need to have all of their, their questions answered. Um, do you feel like that curiosity is missing in the church today? I think the curiosity exists. We have those questions. And so anytime we have a question, there's some mm -hmm. curiosity, right? Yeah. It's kind of birthed within a question that comes up when we study the scriptures. But one of the things that I think we would benefit from enacting in our church ministry and our discipleship ministries is in, when somebody comes to us as church leaders with questions about the scriptures, mm -hmm. instead of giving them the answer, yeah. if we could teach them to discover the answer in the word of God, mm -hmm. because if we can teach, that's the teach a man to fish, right? That's mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. whole concept behind that, because we so often we say, oh, here's a great book. I am guilty of this. Probably my husband and I probably more than other people <laughs> in ministry because we love books. I mean, mm -hmm. we love to resource people. We love to buy books and give them to people. And it is such a natural impulse for us when somebody has a question to say, oh, I wrote a great book about mm -hmm. that. Let me buy it for you and give it to you. And while that serves people in, a, in one way, we also can run into the other error of making people think that only the professionals can find the yeah. answers and that as lay persons in the church, that we are responsible just to go to the people, quote unquote, in charge in order to find the answers. And mm -hmm. that's just not true. We want to help people discover the word of God for themselves so that they can um, eat for life, right? So that yeah. they can feast on the word of God and not think, Theology is for seminary professors and yeah. having biblical answers is for pastors. We don't want to think of the scriptures and about our relationship with God in that way. We want everybody to in, be involved in the joy of studying yeah. scripture and knowing who God is. So I sometimes wonder if we would prick the curiosity of people's hearts better if we said, that is a great question. What verse was that that brought that up? Mm -hmm. Oh, what if we like, what if you came to my office on mm -hmm. Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Yeah. and we looked at that together, like even just showing people, even if you don't have the answer yeah, and you know, you're going to go to a commentary, maybe looking at it, underlying, lining, showing somebody how to use the cross-references cross in their Bible, using the footnotes, maybe mm -hmm. pulling out a commentary and explaining, you know, why I have this commentary in my library and how to use that commentary. All of those skill sets will just... I think serve the church mm -hmm. really well. I mean, you're a pastor, you, you experience this probably in the daily life of sure. ministry. How have you found to involve people in the joy of feasting on the word mm -hmm. of God? Because so often we can say, well, I went to church on Sunday. I heard the sermon yeah. and, you know, check that box. Yeah. I had my word for the week. How have you found mm -hmm. 
Like what have you found to be fruitful in having people delight and desire and hunger for the word of God itself? I think that's the first time somebody's asked me a question on this show. Oh no. (laughs) I'm almost like alarmed. I'm I'm like, wow, no, that's great. This is fantastic. (laughs) So, uh, well, so I, I run everything through, I've been, um, uh, a lead pastor for like two or three years. And then I was a student pastor for like seven years. And, you know, you deal with a lot of students and we're going to talk about that here in a, in a little bit, but I love the vulnerability of young people and how they ask questions. And I've been really discouraged by adults not feeling like they can ask questions. And, and I've found just kind of like what you just said is like, Letting people come in when they allude to a question or just bold enough to ask it, letting them come in because, you know, you and I, like between us, we have a handful of degrees. So I think people can probably think we're being a little disingenuous when we say you don't have to be an academic to do this because we're academics. Mm -hmm. And, and so I've just, I've sort of felt like lifting the veil of secrecy of like how I go about writing a sermon or how I go about doing what I do with all things, all people, and just letting people see it and realizing like, Oh, Jeremy's not really that smart. You know, like he just knows how to use those books. And so I think you're, you're, you're spot on there because, um, yeah, like I think a lot of people, when they hear your message or when they hear my message say, well, that's fine for them because they've spent a ton of time, a ton of money learning how to do it. But the secret really, and it's kind of like, I don't want to devalue either of our ministries, but the secret mm-hmm. is, um, I think we've just had people hold our hands and teach us how to do these mm-hmm. things, not vesting, but you, but you know, interestingly enough, it is, it is funny. Cause you said it's a gift and, and mm-hmm. to some people, um, it does come easier. It does not come mm-hmm. easy to me. I had to learn mm-hmm. this skill. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, but I, this curiosity thing that you, you, you keep zeroing in on, that means so much to me because I feel like most, I I tell people all the time that of anybody in the Bible who I relate to is Thomas, not because he doubted, but because he asked a lot of questions. And, um, that's how I feel all the time is that I just feel like my relationship with Jesus has been me going to the word with questions and sometimes not even getting them answered, but, but feeling like he, he addressed it you know? And so, so I love that idea of curiosity and dispelling the mythos of like the academia and, you know, um, that Amy or Jeremy or, or Austin or whoever, oh, they're, they're this grand Bible teacher, mm-hmm. you know? But one thing I love about you and your ministry though, that I think is so bold, but it's not, it shouldn't be bold is this, um, tiny theologians. So I have, a uh, almost eight-year-old and then my little boy just turned three last week and I've pastored for a decade now teenagers young adults and full-grown adults but nothing scares me more than trying to explain the deep mysteries of the faith to my children so um, how did that come about uh, this tiny theologians idea that you and it's not really it's a company it's a it's a ministry so how did that come about and how uh can the word become more central to our daily lives, especially in shepherding our children's hearts? That is a great question. Well, I, I want to speak to something that you said first. Yeah. In, um, you just explained both of our backgrounds, Bible school, seminary, somebody, yeah. we had people hold our hands through all of these different stages of development. 
you know, and some of those were serious. Like I had yeah. a friend who I merely needed to literally hold my hand through Hebrew vocab class. Like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, like gosh, there yeah. were times where I needed somebody to really walk me through some of these things. Right. But people basically invested in you and I mm-hmm. and in our spiritual development, but also just our, they gave us a skill set, Yeah, you know, in, you know, it's, you know, this as well as I do, seminary did not answer all of our questions, no. but it basically gave us tools in Mm -hmm. order to find out the answers to the questions that we'll continue coming up with for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think about it like going to an excavation site. If a um, team goes out to dig up, you know, dinosaur bones, for example, um, the people who are there, what the training that they have gotten is probably not by being on a job site quite like this before, but what they did is they went somewhere that taught them in a classroom how to use the tools. You mm-hmm. know, so I, I know nothing about excavation. Okay, so <laughs> right, bear sure. with me. I'm imagining that in yeah, their little right. toolbox, they have like these little brushes and shovels. And at some point they need an actual tractor, like a digger that's mm-hmm. gonna you know, lift big mounds of earth out of the way. So they've gone somewhere to learn how to use these tools so that when they arrive on any job site, they can look at their toolbox and say, you know, this is how I'm gonna use these things. This is how mm-hmm. I'm gonna accomplish the task in front of me. I'm gonna excavate this site. And somebody taught them that. And I think that when, when I think about theology and when I think about studying the word, a lot of times when questions come up, I think, oh gosh, I don't even know how to start answering this. How do I explain the Trinity to a child? I mean, I don't even have my mind wrapped around the Trinity, but the truth is, is that at some point in our lives, somebody taught us Mm -hmm. and somebody explained it to us in one way. And then somebody else explained it in another way. And then somebody rephrased it in another way. And then somebody handed us a resource and we took Mm -hmm. it deeper. And then somebody had us in their Bible study. And then somebody had us in their theology class. It's all these little things that together the Lord used to build what is our theology now, which hopefully represents the word of God, the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so with kids, I think it's so essential that we don't think about, oh gosh, there's these huge theological concepts that they'll never be able to grasp. The truth Mm -hmm. is somebody taught me and Mm -hmm. I am a very average person. My GPA (laughs) was never stellar. Mm -hmm. I was never this super academically minded person, but somebody taught me Mm -hmm. and somebody took the time to do that. And so I think with kids, we can, we can kind of save ourselves a lot of heartache if we just debunk it and say Mm -hmm. average people have been learning these true things, big things about God for generations. So we're just going to start. We're just going to start by being one of the pieces of that puzzle. We're basically going to give them one tool for their toolbox so that when they have a question that comes up, they can say, oh, you know what? Somebody taught me how to use this skill set, this one Mm -hmm. tool of studying the Bible. So Um, so let me answer your question now about how tiny theologians came about. And it kind of is, um, it makes it sound like my heart isn't in kids ministry, which it totally is, but (laughs) let me explain how this came about. So I have this Bible study membership. Um, your sweet wife, Courtney is a part of it. I love my members so much. And Mm -hmm. it's really the source of life and joy for me. Um, we have a small community, intentionally small, Um, community of Bible students who want to study the Bible verse by verse and who want to learn theology and want to do it in a relational way, a go at your own pace way, 
that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. when I first launched this Bible study membership, I noticed that I had a lot of early career women who were single um, or they were married, but didn't have any children. And then I had these empty nesters who were sort of like, I'm in a new season of life. I've always wanted to study these things. So I had these two really well-represented groups of women. And I had this huge gap in the middle of young moms. There were no young moms in my Bible city membership. And so I started asking around doing, taking some polls and saying, what is it? Why is it that young moms, like I thought maybe I'm articulating the membership in a way that young moms think isn't for them. Or I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. I just need to change the way I'm presenting it because they should know this is totally something they'd be into. Well, I had a lot of moms respond and say, oh, I do not have the time for that. I can't Mm -hmm. study the Bible verse by verse. I can't learn theology. There's no way I could do that. But then I would get messages from those same women saying, do you have anything to help me teach my kids? (laughs) Yeah. You know, women and, mm-hmm. and dads too, moms yeah. and dads too, will do so much for their children that they won't do for themselves. Think about the number of young moms, or I should say moms of young children mm-hmm. who will go without showering for a day, but that baby has gotten a bath every single day, right? They yeah. will do things for their children that they will not necessarily do for themselves. And I think that is the truth, the case, sometimes when it comes to theological development. So I created this one simple set of flashcards, the ABCs of theology, to kind of fill that gap, to have an answer for these moms who were saying, do you have anything I can do with my kids? And I can't tell you the number of women that wrote back to me and said, I was going through the ABCs of theology with my child and I just learned what atonement is. And that wow. was the wow. joy of my heart. So yeah. tiny theologians started as my subversive in the positive sense, attempt to reach young moms mm-hmm. with the- theological training. Yeah. And, and I discovered this entire, this sort of untapped passion in my heart for simplifying theology, little hearts and minds. And mm-hmm. so what started as a part of my Bible study teaching um, as a part of my online membership and ministry, I broke off into its own small business and ministry and tiny mm-hmm. theologians. And it has been so much fun to develop theological resources for kids that point kids and parents, um, to the gospel. So mm-hmm. we have, I have so much great feedback yeah. from this line of discipleship tools from a nine-year-old saying, um, to her parents recently, this, this is like very fresh. This is like in the last yeah. month, a nine-year-old, um, met a friend who was adopted and said, oh, that is what God does with us. when we are united <laughs> to Christ. A wow. nine-year-old said that mm-hmm. bless yeah. the Lord. Yeah. She told her mom, we are adopted by the father because we are united to the son of God. And I just mm-hmm. thought that is everything I want children to know about salvation. It's mm-hmm. about union with Christ. It's about, um, not just saying, did you pray the prayer? Is that how you know you're saved? Right. I want kids to know so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was really encouraging to me, but I've also had, I have, um, the set of cards that's called one with Christ and it's sort of a puzzle and theological training tool. So it shows, um, one with Christ at the center. And then it shows all the different, um, salvation benefits of, being united to Christ. So the same resource as this nine-year-old mm-hmm. was referencing, this 42-year-old woman emailed me and said, I had a coworker who was super confused about what it means to be saved. And so I pulled out the tiny theologians cards that I had in my purse. And I walked through how all of these things are a result of being united with Jesus. And so that this brand has become such a blessing and such a gift to so many families, but in some, God has carried it so much further than 
I would have ever been able to imagine. So it's really exciting to see kids see Jesus on every page of scripture for kids to understand what atonement is, to understand um, who God is and how he reveals himself in scripture, the different names he gives himself to memorize scripture. All of these things Mm -hmm. have just become a part of the tiny theologians line. And really my deepest prayer is that they really are bearing real fruit. And I, from so many of the families I've talked to, that seems to be the case and glory to God for that. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen the fruit through, through the things that you've put out on social media, talking to my wife, who is intimately familiar with your ministry. The thing that amazes me the most, and I'd love to hear your perspective of this is in pastoring, I've seen so many parents who desire their children to grow up and, and stay in the faith. Of course, we have, we have statistics that we throw around about the number of children who go off to college and never come back to the church and all these things. But it's been interesting for me to see that um, with something like Tiny Theologians, I know that part of uh, on the website and you're talking about it and you, and you talk about how sometimes, and, and neither you nor I is interested in uh, making somebody think less of any particular children's curriculum, but sometimes we merely give children a fun version of what the Bible says and not Mm -hmm. actually what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, who, like I said, is about to turn eight. She, I think she's smarter than me. I, she, she asks these deep questions that, that I've not even heard some adults ask. And, And it's very intimidating for my wife and I, because sometimes we think if I answer the question or, or at least help her, like you and I've already said, help her, think about the question in a way that might point her to Christ. We have a fear that maybe it might provoke actual doubts in her that maybe she doesn't buy the answer. Maybe she Mm. doesn't buy what the Bible has to say. And at a young age, we might actually be provoking doubt. And I think for many parents and for many children's ministries, that's why they sometimes merely entertain their children because they say, we'll wait until the seniors in high school to talk through that. Now you and I could talk about the vicious cycle that that provokes, but how have you helped um, moms, I'm sure dads as well, or even, you know, you and your husband understand like how to navigate that introducing our children to these wonders of the cosmos, <laughs> these great mysteries that you and I sit and reflect over. And we don't even have a firm grasp on, like you said, but manage their hearts and minds in such a way that we're not pushing them to a point of despair or doubt that they're just not ready yet. Do you, I mean, do you have mm-hmm. any, like really this is, so this is not for the podcast. This is for me asking you for help because <laughs> I worry about that sometimes. I think it's a, I think it's a caring concern. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're caring about is the hearts of our children. And what we don't want to do is overwhelm them. And, and I think this is super important to say theology is incredibly important because it's our view of the God of the Bible. It's our mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. of the God of the universe, right? So theology is incredibly important, but one of the theological realities is that God has not seen it fit to make our intellectual understanding and articulation of the truths of his word a part of our salvation story. Mm. Yeah. It's a part of how we are discipled and grow up in faith, but it is not necessary to say thanks be to God, right? right. He does not, he's not holding out on us and saying, you'll be saved when you can articulate salvation in these very distinct doctrinal terms. That's not a part of it. So I'm so thankful that the process of discipleship is where 
we can place theological education. Theological education is not a part of God's salvation plan. He's not waiting for us to be able to say enough or know enough um, or be able to articulate it in the right ways. He's not, mm-hmm. he's not waiting. He's not holding out on us until we have the academic knowledge. Thanks, thanks be yeah. to God for that. Yeah. And I think, so we're talking about this in terms of discipleship, which I think is an appropriate camp to talk about it in. One of the ways that I've, um, and the reason I say that, let me back up and say the reason I clarify that is because when we think about teaching kids theology, we can often think that what we're doing is putting this burden on them or these expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had parents say, I don't want to teach my kids theology because I don't want them to feel like they have to know all of this stuff for me to be proud of them. And mm-hmm. absolutely, that's God's right. God, if God isn't waiting for us to know all these things to mm-hmm. be proud of us, then we should not wait on our expect our kids to know all this that we can be proud of them. That's mm-hmm. not the point. The, the point of teaching kids theology is this, is that theology is simply our view of God. It's not just something we find in a textbook. It's mm-hmm. something that we already have. So our children already have a view of God. That's, that theology broken down into its etymological source is theos, which is the word, the most basic word for the divine, and ology, which is the suffix we put on any word to mean the study of, it is the study of God or what we know or believe to be true about God. So kids already have it. And I actually like to offer this to parents often, if parents are unconvinced that their kids have a theology or that they believe anything about God, just ask your six-year-old to describe God for you. And they're going to have something to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that something is their theology. Mm-hmm. That's some, whether they believe he's benevolent like Santa Claus or mysteriously aloof like the Easter bunny, mm-hmm. or whether or not they believe that he came in the person of Jesus Christ, yeah. that is their theology. And so what we're doing is not saying, I'm going to give you a theology. What we're doing is saying, you already have a theology let me help you develop that theology so that it better aligns with the the god of the bible who he's revealed himself to be so here are kind of two practical ways that i often we employ in our household Mm -hmm. and i often encourage parents with um, when those kids come with tough questions and we're thinking what if they end up having more questions as a result (laughs) of my answer Um, so one, we do want to keep things simple for kids. We don't need to get into, like, we don't, I, I firmly believe we do not need to be using terms like Calvinist and Arminian with our seven-year-olds. They just need to know that God desires all to be saved Mm -hmm. and that God is sovereign in Mm -hmm. salvation. They need to know those two biblical truths and we don't need to approach them with sort of a camp, um, Mm -hmm. mentality. Like we don't need to approach them with all of these human imposed titles, especially when they're so young. So one of the ways that I encourage parents to think about theology is to sort of have at the ready simplified theological truths that they can grab when they're in a tight spot. Um, Because when we're in a tight spot, when a kid asks us a question, we are probably most prone or more prone than any other time to reach for something that we don't actually believe in attempts mm-hmm. to comfort our child and attempts yeah. to guide our child and attempts to correct our child, whatever the situation <laughs> is, we are more prone in that situation to reach for something we, that is untrue or a theological mm-hmm. untruth. And so I like to have at the ready simplified theological truths that I can reach for sort of like in my toolbox, if you will, to mm-hmm. continue using that metaphor that I can offer children, um, 
So some of mine are only God is all knowing only Mm -hmm. God is all present. Um, We cannot please God on our own. Those are some of my Mm -hmm. favorite simplified theological truths. So an example um, that is from just the recent couple of weeks, we as a church plant are going through the book of Ephesians and we came to the passage on spiritual warfare and we are doing family services because of COVID. We do Mm -hmm. not currently have kids ministry. So my husband is preparing this sermon on spiritual warfare, knowing that all of these children are going to be listening. Yeah. Um, and Paul writes fairly explicitly about the enemy. And so mm-hmm. how do we talk to kids about the devil in a mm-hmm. way that isn't just going to give them nightmares? And so, so many of our parents, when they came with this question, they said, well, I tell my kid when they're at night going, what about Satan? <laughs> yeah. Like, who is this? And what yeah. do I say? Yeah. One of the untruths that our gut reaction wants to reach for is like, uh, the enemy isn't interested in our family or even worse saying the enemy isn't real. Like right, yeah. Satan really isn't real. Yeah, don't or, worry about it. Yeah, exactly. We want to reach for that to c- comfort them, which is a good mm-hmm. impulse, but we don't want to teach them something untrue. So having at the ready, only God is all powerful. That mm-hmm. is really effective to teaching your kids about the enemy. The truth, you know, so as soon as you grab that out of your toolbox mm-hmm. and present it to your kid, The truth is, is that other things are going to come to mind that relate to that. So only God is all powerful. Satan is not all powerful. This is Mm -hmm. not sort of a balance of good and evil in the world. No, God is all present. He is all powerful. You can talk to God anytime you want to. He is always awake. When you go to sleep, he stays awake and he is listening to your prayers. That is way more comforting. It's going to serve them for the long haul of their life. Um, Mm -hmm. So much more than saying, ah, you don't really need to worry about the enemy. You're too young. You don't need to worry about saying So we can have these truths that are simply stated at the ready. So I always encourage parents when you're not in a tight spot, write some of those down Mm -hmm. because then you'll have them to grab onto. The thing that I think we, the fruit we see from this is actually when it comes to student ministry, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we shy away from theological language with kids because we think they're not going to understand it. They're not going to grasp it. And at a certain age, this is true. We don't, we don't need to be using certain theological words. You know, we don't need to say, so, you know, what's your soteriology to your four-year-old? Like we're talking about God saves us from our sins, but before, but, um, and for those listening that don't know, soteriology is just a study of salvation, Mm -hmm. but uh, we need to use much more simple language with our four-year-olds than that. Mm -hmm. But as they get older, I think it's important and really um, helpful to introduce actual theological language, especially where it mirrors the biblical text, because here is the fruit I have seen in the lives of young students when they launch out of their homes, when they're in high school and doing a quiet time on their own for the first time, they find that the biblical text is not as foreign to them mm-hmm. uh, because they've grown up around the language yeah. of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so if we have only made Bible story, if our kids' ministry, if our children's discipleship is only about be brave like Daniel or have courage like David, Mm -hmm. if that is all we're telling them, they're going to read those stories and be like, wait a second, didn't David sleep with somebody else's (laughs) wife? Like they're going to not recognize Mm -hmm. the biblical text. And they're going to have so much more questions later on in life. So we set them up for success when we actually use the language of the Bible. So that when they come to read it on their own, they're not like, wait, what is this book? What is, mm-hmm. what is this language? Yeah. They're actually going, I recognize this and I'm familiar. I find myself at home in the scriptures mm-hmm. because this is familiar to me already. So I think we serve our kids well in the long term when we start using that language at a young age. Yeah. 
And you, you know, you have such a unique perspective in my opinion, because, you know, you are, um, a mother of a very young child. You have now essentially started this business, this ministry, helping other parents minister to young children, but you know, you and your husband are, are only recently planted Trinity church in Greenville, which for those who don't know, Greenville, North Carolina is home of Eastern Carolina university. And Go um, pirates. Go pirates. Sure. <laughs> I'm from Western North Carolina. So um, we're big Tar Heel fans. And most of my friends went to Western Carolina. So we'll, we'll agree to we'll, disagree, but so, <laughs> we'll make um, here. yeah. So, but you know, you doing all this ministry in the context of young children, now you see generate a generation of, of young people come through your church. And I know that you guys are hugely active ministering to as much as you can to this, this, um, this crowd of young college students in your town, um, you know, paint for me a picture if you can of, of how young people are connecting in your church and, and how you guys are ministering to them. The reason I want to ask that is I feel like the church has been guilty of painting a caricature of generation Z and young people in general to say all sorts of things that maybe aren't true about them mm-hmm. or are only true in the most superficial sense. And so what has mm-hmm. been y'all's experience now receiving this generation that maybe some of them grew up in children's ministries, like the ones you just described? Yeah, that is a great question because I am very opposed to the caricatures of Gen Z. Yeah. Now stereotypes are exist for a reason. Yeah. They can be said of my generation too. I'm a millennial and yeah, you could say a lot of stereotypes. I mean, like two weeks ago, I was eating avocado toast for breakfast. So <laughs> sure. I'm guilty of some mm-hmm. of those stereotypes. But We're not the most like self-confident generation either. I so. totally understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Gen Z has been given sort of this unfair, broad generalization that they are not interested in the things of God. And I think their interest is just taking a little bit of a different spin. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our church context, we are church planters. So we are a small body of yeah. believers. Mm-hmm. We started church planting at the end of 2019, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. And most of our church planting experience has been in, in 2020. So the majority Mm -hmm. of the months and weeks of ministry have been under um, quarantine or stay at home orders or people, you know, just sort of starting to venture back out into the world. So our church planting experience um, has been, it's relatively new. And so our body remains really pretty small. Um, But here is, here has been the biggest encouragement to my heart the students that have come, we're not gathering mass numbers of students Mm -hmm. and you just don't find that at ECU. That's the reality. Campus ministries here, campus ministries at Carolina um, in um, Chapel Hill are Mm -hmm. going to be huge. They're going to be hundreds of people. That's where my husband went to school. So he would say, go Tar Heels. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But, you know, hundreds of, he grew up going to crew gatherings mm-hmm. that were hundreds of people here. Yeah. We're talking like under 50 students at crew inter varsity gatherings. All these campus ministries generally stay pretty small, at least all the, the mainline ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we knew that if we had ministry to college students, we were, we were not looking at gathering hundreds mm-hmm. and that was fine for us because we are two people on staff. We have tons yeah. of people that minister alongside of us at our, who are a part of our church plant, but we knew as staff members, there's no way we could facilitate hundreds of people anyway. Um, 
but the joy of being a church plant is that as students jump in, they jump right into the heart of the ministry. So we decided that instead of trying to gather these, have these large group campus gatherings for worship or whatever, and maybe some of the ministries that are accused of having more of a superficial approach, you know, like Mm -hmm. a campus worship night once a month, and that being the definition of your college ministry, I'm not bashing that, but I'm saying there's a reason that we kind of look at that and say, maybe that's not as deep as it could be. We decided instead to take the few students that God had brought during the COVID season um, and go really deep with them. So we started a theology internship for students, and it has been such a gift to watch these students unpack things like the Trinity, the Incarnation, Ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, Mm -hmm. final things, theology, unpack these week by week. So they come over to our house and we explore one theological topic once a month, they're over for dinner and we do dinner and discipleship and talk about how these things apply to real life ministry. So, mm-hmm. um, we have dinner and discipleship topics were things like racial reconciliation in the church, um, politics and the Christian life. We mm-hmm. did sex and sexuality and sexual identity and gender roles. You know, we're tackling yeah. these tough topics. And here's the thing I was surprised to find. I'll be honest. I was surprised to find how well thought through these students had how well these students had already Mm -hmm. thought through these topics and how deeply they desired for their doctrine on these topics to align with the word of God. I was so encouraged and we continue to be so encouraged. So we've just done one year of the theology internship and we plan to continue it. And by God's grace, we plan to see it grow. Um, it has been such a gift to take a small number as a church plant. That's just how God had wired us a small number, take them deep. And Mm -hmm. it has just been a real gift to us as well. Yeah. And, um, as you said, this, this younger generation, I've seen the same thing too, in, in my role as a pastor, but then also with all things, all people where they are coming with very deep questions and, um, they do desire for it to, to be reconciled with, um, so, you know, just like we say, Gen Z has had a caricature drawn of it. The church has had a caricature, draw, caricature drawn of it. And I think young, and it's happened for hundreds of years, the young generation has been sold a caricature of the church. And unfortunately, oftentimes it is, they've seen it in their youth ministries and in their children's ministries, unfortunately. And, and so, yeah, it's a vicious cycle. And, um, you know, for those who don't already follow you on, on social media, I really desire for them to, because, um, you know, my wife and I were talking yesterday, you did this thing yesterday, uh, walking, you said something like you were going to certify <laughs> church servants or something like that. And then you walked through and showed people, Hey, if you want to serve and be a part of your local church, here's all these things you can do and holding doors and putting out signs. And it, it was funny, but at the same time, um, I'm sure those college students really love that. Like they love feeling as if they're truly part of something vibrant, living dynamic. Um, and so I, I think that that's phenomenal. And then, like you said, walking them through these, it seems as if this is really the theme of tiny theologians and your ministry, mm-hmm. um, with the Bible studies. And now through Trinity, you and your husband, um, is walking people through these deep mysteries and, and, you know, kind of like we said at the beginning of the conversation is, hoping that we might bring about this curiosity, this Holy spirit driven curiosity in other people. Um, but before I let you go, I do want to ask though, because, um, the concept and the thesis statement surrounding your book, um, Mm -hmm. is so interesting to me. As I said before, the, the top, the title of the book, fix your eyes, how our study of God shapes our worship of him. And describing that you talk about how our theology should affect 
our, our worship. And I, and as a pastor, I've seen how those two worlds are usually separated. Mm -hmm. And you have some people in the church who say, I want to dive deeper. The preaching's not deep enough for me. And then you have other people who say the worship's not good enough for me. I want to be able to express myself. And, and I know the book goes so much deeper than those two sentiments. So before I let you go, um, what was your heart behind writing that book? And what are you kind of hoping comes about through the, the people reading that? What are you hoping that they take to their, to their local churches? Yeah, I think I had experienced exactly what you described. Mm-hmm. Um, when I stepped out of seminary and my husband and I were a part of a local church, I found that there were circles that would invite me into deep theological conversation. Um, and, or, or yeah. I could go to these events that were very worship focused and mm-hmm. lacking in theology. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, is that either in a silo, either theology or worship on its own ceases to be what it is meant to be. Mm-hmm. So theology is meant to stir us to affection, affection for God, right? Mm-hmm. The more we get to know God, the more we should love and revere him and mm-hmm. savor our relationship with him. Sort of like your spouse. The more you get to know them, the more you fall in love with them. That's mm-hmm. the goal of our relationship with God. The goal of knowing him more is so that we would worship him more fully. But I was finding instead that these theological circles were running dry on affection mm-hmm. and they were running a little arrogant and mm-hmm. there was a bitterness and an entitlement and a judgmental bent to them. So I was in this community and I was thinking, oh, this is just not. Uh, I did, that's just not what I think theology is meant to lead us to. And on the other hand, I swung the other way and sort of enjoyed all of these like worship events. And I'd find myself at these wonderful, gorgeous events for women. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some yeah. beautiful worship conferences out there and we'd be singing a song and I'm like, wait a second. I don't think that's totally true. Yeah, sure. But thousands of women around me just saying, I don't know that that's rooted in God's word. So I was finding these two silos and I really... I am very passionate about the reality that God's word paints for us, that our knowledge of God should lead us into worship of him. Our theology should drive us to worship. And it makes both of them what it's meant to be. Knowing God, truly knowing him Mm -hmm. is worshiping him. It's not a head full of factoids about God. That just puffs us up. It doesn't drive us to our knees. Theology should drive us to our knees. And true worship of God is rooted in God, who Mm -hmm. is the God that we're worshiping? You have to know him in order to worship him. So I wanted to build a bridge between the two. So Fix Your Eyes really aims to do that, to bring together both our theology and our worship of God. And so it's structured like a systematic theology. It walks through one doctrinal topic or theological topic at a time, the Trinity, the incarnation, theology proper, the church, Mm -hmm. um, you know, final things, the spirit, all of those things. It goes one chapter at a time through each theological topic. It explores it theologically. So for the person that says, hey, I wanted to dip my toes in theological waters, but I'm not really sure where to start. This is sort of like an abbreviated systematic. You're going to get a doctrinal overview of each topic, but then it's going to drive it home in application. Where does this show up in our life of worship? How does knowing that God is triune foster worship in our hearts in a way that if he wasn't triune would not be the case. Mm -hmm, (laughs) How does knowing that God was incarnated in the second person of the Trinity, how does knowing that God became flesh show up in our daily lives of worship and discipleship? And maybe how are some of the ways that we're living in our walks with God or living in our communities or operating in our churches or in our marriages or in our family or operating with our finances, 
how are some of the ways that we're living actually unearthing in us a poor theology? Mm -hmm. Where is it that when I make a financial decision, if I was to pick that apart, does it reveal that I have an impoverished view of God that Mm -hmm. doesn't align with the scriptures? And so I really wanted to connect those two. So for the person, this book is written for the person who says, I want to explore theology. Maybe Maybe they've always wanted, been curious about theology. Maybe they've even wanted to go to seminary and Mm -hmm. it's not the time or in the budget or anything like that. The person who said, I've heard about theology, but I just don't know anything. And I need something super accessible. When I Google systematic theologies, they're like this big, they're so thick. They're hundreds and hundreds of pages. This book is written for that person who says, I want to know what I believe. And so it articulates it simply and concisely, but also shows us how it takes root in our lives because that is mm-hmm. um, where we're going to live out our theology. That's how we're going to really know what we believe is in how we live. So that book, that's the audience that this book is written yeah. for. So it's written for people like me who want yeah. their theology to touch base in their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't wait. It comes out in September yeah. and um, yeah. I'm really excited to share it. Well, I'm excited to read it. And uh, for listeners who uh, are looking forward to that, the link to pre-order that on Amazon is in the show notes. Uh, Go do that right now. Go follow Amy on social media. Those links are also in the show notes as well. Um, Amy, you are a tremendous example of somebody who is obviously ministering to many segments of people, whether that be small children, uh, young mothers, career-driven women, empty nesters, as you said, and right there in the heart of Greenville now, um, a wide array of people, including college students at ECU. And so I'm so appreciative of you and what you, what you and your husband are doing um, and the impact that it's had on me personally, my wife, and so many other people. So thank you for your very, very valuable time today. And I know that the listeners are going to love having heard from you. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.